my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast, Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Lucas, and this is Black Tech Green Money. Afrotech 2022, Austin, Texas. Blavity Org's Tammy Gordon is on the main stage talking revisiting the talented 10th, a concept of creating leadership in black communities via education and missionaries of culture and expansion of thought. 
That's a simplification, but you can do your homework on W.E.B. Du Bois and his work. She's talking with Torian Robertson, who's biz dev at Alchemy Health, and Bridget Jones, the hood historian, a Tennessee-based historian focusing on race relations and the lasting legacy of U.S. slavery. We're excited to be here. Tori and Bridget, I'm so happy to have you guys. I'm excited too. Happy to be here. We've been we've been talking about this, planning for this. I'm just I want y'all to know we're friends, okay? This is like I love these people. And so we're gonna have a conversation. We're gonna invite you into the conversations that we generally have, but we're here today to talk about reclaiming your renaissance. And Beyonce's put that back on the map. So if anyone's heard the new Beyonce album, it's got a lot to do with the Renaissance. Uh, but there are some real origins to the Talented Tenth and the Renaissance, and so we want to have that conversation with you all. Um, but before we get started, we're a lot more than our titles, a lot more than what folks may see on the screen, and I think I'm in charge of advancing, so I'm going to do some of that. And if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, I'm telling you right now, we're not going to use them. Um, but Bridget, Torian, you guys tell us who you are, what you do, and how who you are shows up in what you do. Um, well, I am a historian by trade. I am the director of equitable partnerships for Bellmead Historic Site and Winery, which is, drumroll, a former plantation. So I am a black woman that works on a plantation. Now, who ever thought? Don't talk about it. I ain't listen. Um, but... <laughs> I've been able to transition that into consulting for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and kind of looking at how slavery is the reason that we have so many issues still prevalent today. Um, so I founded Bridge Builders Historical Consulting in 2020, um, and that has opened numerous doors for me, um, being able to, to talk about history in a way that many people don't get to. When people tend to think historian, they tend to think like, oh, PhD, um, I'm hood. So my brand of historian is very different. And I mean, I'm native to Memphis. I went to Tennessee State, if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm very proud of, of being able to, to take up space and be authentic to who I am. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'm blessed to be here. Hey, again, Torian, um, you said outside of the titles, I am a, I am a husband yep. of 12 years. I am a father of four, seven, five, three, one. So a crazy household. Uh, and like they said, I'm a multi- you know, industry season leader. So I've been across a number of spaces, you know, starting my career in finance and retail banking to community banking, to youth development, to higher ed, to entertainment, and now, you know, working at uh, Alchemy, which is a, a brand dedicated to curating uh, uh, content for the culture around health and wellness. And so, you know, and I actually was found out about that organization when I was at my previous employer in entertainment and realized how much, how much we needed healing amongst the community. I was looking for a resource for our artists and staff and found out about the dope things that was happening at Alchemy. And so, you know, I wanted to give that context about the spaces that I've been, who, I'm, who I am, because it's also helped shape, you know, my narrative, my, my POV for this discussion. So when we talk about Talent to Ten. It's like, you know, over the years, all of these spaces have informed, informed me. Oh, I failed to mention, you know, I'm from Chicago, from the crib. From, for those that, are, that know, uh, they're familiar, but from Chicago, spent 13 years in Harlem, uptown uh, New York, okay, and then uh, relocated four years ago to Atlanta. And so, again, 
where you talk about the spaces that I've been in, the industries that I've been in, I feel like, you know, I could lend a certain perspective to this, this discussion. Thank you, guys. You know, it's so important. We got to bring our whole selves to this space. And we're not going to preview the homework, but I'm going to give you a piece of insight to where we're going. Y'all got to bring your whole selves to this experience. There's a lot of ourselves that we don't share and get hidden when we lead with, I'm a engineer, I'm a director, I'm a whatever, like let's share all of who we are because uh, there's so much about being able to do that, especially in spaces like this where there's so many of us and able to see our reflections in one another. So thank y'all for setting the stage in that way. Um, all right, I'm gonna walk y'all through really quick because there's a lot of intention in this conversation. Uh, Bridget and Torian are gonna share a lot of insight, but I want you guys to just follow along and know where we're going. Um, we're talking about the Renaissance. We're gonna be talking about some topics that are tough, that are typically um, triggering, um, but they're real and they're ours. And so we're gonna talk about that. So we're gonna talk about the black Renaissance. We're gonna talk about the origins of that. We're gonna talk a lot about slavery and be real about where some of our stuff comes from. Um, and then we're gonna, we want you guys to walk away with something. There's homework, there's lessons. Like we wanna be really intentional that you guys leave this conversation with something and then also a new connection with one another. So just inviting y'all to know how we're gonna explore the next 50 so or minutes together. But kicking us off, Bridget, the historian on our panel, can you tell us what's, what's the Talented 10th? What's, what's the Renaissance? So the Talented 10th as a theory um, was essentially created by a white man who was the founder of Morehouse um, and W.E.B. Du Bois picked up on that and essentially just agreed with it. And it's a, a theory that believes that 10% of black people will carry the rest of the race of black people. So only 10% of us has the acumen to be successful. Not the 25,000 that are here right now. No. no. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where'd it come from? It came from ideas of exceptionalism, and we've all seen ideas of exceptionalism in present day, but historically speaking, the exceptional people were usually the people who were either skilled laborers during enslavement, or they were biracial. So that means that you, you were a blacksmith or a tradesman, you had something that could translate into a paying job, a well-paying job post-emancipation, or you were biracial and had close ties with the white community, so you were deemed an exceptional Negro. And they translated that later on into something they deemed the talented 10th. And these 10% of people are exceptional to all other black people. And they're going to have to carry the rest of black people because they just, them poor babies ain't going to be able to make it. Nope. Torian, you went to Morehouse. Okay. Yep. Yep. We just, I don't know if y'all know or heard what Bridget said, but it's named after a white man, even though it is the house, right? How did this show up at Morehouse? I mean, it showed up uh, in new student orientation. I, I started school in 2000, so I'm also recognizing, like, times have changed over the last, ooh, 20 years. Uh, you know, we've had advancements, you know, or, you know, when you think President Obama, things like that, that, again, new generations may have different philosophies. But, yeah, when I, when I started at Morehouse, I mean, and a number of folks may have heard this at Morehouse or across other HBCUs or spaces, you know, the first thing that was told to us at NSO was like, look to your left, look to your right. That person's probably not going to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that time, it was more of a adoption or how I interpreted it was, you know, 
this is the weeding out process. This is the best of the best that's going to make it. And unfortunately, half, you know, half my you know, uh, class that started with me did not graduate. So again, I, I, I took that as a badge of honor, but it's one of those things that I think, depending how you internalize that, you know, or the language that may be used, you know, Confidently, I was thinking I was going to be the, you know, the baddest man walking on two feet and mm. coming to save our people. <laughs> you can go back to Chicago or we dissipate to, you know, wherever spaces we want to go to in the world professionally. And we're going to help save the race. But again, it's like that's how it was, the seeds were planted. I don't think that was necessarily the intention. Mm -hmm. And like I said, because I have gone on to, uh, you know, other spaces and industries, one of the things I did note, I did come back to Morehouse you know, close to 20, uh, 15 years later as a fundraiser. And so I was at, as a fundraiser at that time, you know, a lot of that language has changed. And so, you know, where it was no longer, you know, look to your left, look to your right. It's like, hey, once you're here, we need to make sure we, we see you through. Uh, and so I've seen a lot of shift in that, but yes, it, it started there and then, you know, I became a, you know, I'm a Kappa man. And so again, it's like, go through that process and things like that. Like, you, it, again, it adds to this notion that, you know, you're part of this talented task. We're going to go off. We're going to save our people. Uh, but again, that could shift or has shift over, shifted over times for me. Yep. And we're going to come back to this notion of saving our people because that's, that's a through line through the Renaissance, through talented tents, and even the evolutions of different phases of Renaissance. Bridger, you also went to HBCU, TSU. How'd this show up in your world? Uh, well, I was told the exact same thing that Torian was at orientation, the look to your left, look to your right thing. So, and it, it was accurate. The person who was to my right did not graduate with me. The person to my left did. Um, and also it showed up in spaces like trying to pledge. Man, that was the hardest <laughs> process of, of essentially kind of classism and trying to be exceptional enough to make the line like that was hmm. that was a thing you know and if you went to an hbcu pledging at an hbcu is that's like cream of the crop when you meet people that went to hbcus the first question they ask is did you pledge and if you didn't why didn't you um so it definitely showed up there i think historically we see it in the majorette lines i know colorism has been historically really big with majoretting at hbcus and in some hbcu instances even admission um, there's a, I won't say it's a fact, but there's a probable rumor concerning Fisk and historically administering the paper, brown paper bag test for admission into Fisk University. So if you're not this light or above this shade, you can't even come here. Um, so I think it shows up in numerous ways throughout HBCU culture. How many folks in the audience went to an HBCU? Show of hands. Hey. Any D9 folks in the crowd? I see y'all. I see y'all. <laughs> my grandmother, my great grandmother, used to do the paper bag test before we would go to church. And I remember her being like, Y'all gotta wear stockings. Put on those white stockings because y'all are not light enough to be showing your legs out in church. And so it's really interesting how these notions that we may read about, and I don't know how many of you guys heard about the Talented 10th before, like before today, before Beyonce started talking about it on her album. There's a few hands. These are things that are imprinted on us, right? And they came from somewhere, right? There's origins from somewhere. 
Um, we'll talk a little bit about where those origins are and where they show up. But I've, said, I've listened to a lot of the panels at Afrotech uh, the past couple of days. We got folks who are looking for jobs. We got folks who are trying to like figure out where my stuff comes up, where it shows up. Do I turn that off? Can I be free because I'm with 25,000 other black people, but I'm also interviewing and trying to make connections and get that funding? How is how has this followed you, right? So like, y'all experienced it firsthand at an HBCU, some of us in Z9 space, being in step clubs, majorette, as you shifted into your professional world, right? This role or other ones, like how are y'all navigating some of the stuff that's been imprinted on you from both your collegiate experience, but like in cases of great grandma, like it's likely embedded in our families too. How do y'all navigate that? I think code switching was my hardest lesson. Um, learning how to enter a space and straddle that line between authenticity and professionalism. Um, that was really, really difficult for me because I believe in being completely myself at all times. But that is not always the best method towards getting to your bag. Because a lot of times other people are not aware of how your authenticity is a part of you because you're expected to assimilate, you're expected to come into spaces and, and take up space in a way that makes other people comfortable. Mm. And when you step outside of that box, you become a problem. And I think I've been seeing on LinkedIn the, this idea of like the quiet firing. You don't wanna be quietly fired because you are trying to be yourself at work. Um, I've had numerous instances of like, being at work and again I work on a historic plantation so there's levels of microaggressions that I've had to deal with mm -hmm. when talking about slavery with 25 white people even down to oh you're so well spoken mm. child was I not supposed to be what does well spoken mean what you thought I was gonna come in here gang gang no baby I'm at work and if you did you're still a historian you still got more facts than most people Right. But they will discredit your facts solely because of how you look and how you present yourself. I could have all the degrees and accolades and certifications in the world. But at the end of the day, when I step into their room, I'm a five, nine black girl with blue hair. And they don't feel like these these things can coexist together. Hmm. Taryn, I want you to answer. I also want to hear your thoughts on this professionalism and authenticity because they seem to be separate, but are they? And in your experience, what does that look like? There. Wherever but, you want to start. No, I, I guess to continue, like as I left Morehouse, I mean, it doesn't matter if you go to HBCU, PWI, you know, black folks, we treat each other as a community. So if you move to a certain city like New York, you know, and everyone knows it's like or who has been. It's like you find your you find your your, your people, you know, whether you're in banking, uh, creatives, uh, nonprofits, whatever. You know, a lot of times we end up coming together, uh, all of us. And so what I started to see over time was, I mean, we, you know, you're brunching it up and, you know, we engage in discussions. So, I mean, some of these notions uh, around talent attempts or how you approach the world you know, are going to be not necessarily dispelled, but they can't evolve. Mm -hmm. And so in my case, you know, I, like I said, I started my career in finance. Um, I was working for uh, HSBC Bank. And at the time, um, I opened our first branch in Harlem. And so when I did that, I, it was the beginning of the recession. So, I, you know, 
pretty much set myself up for failure. And I remember them asking me one time, and I guess that was a microaggression. They asked me, hey, do you want to go back downtown? As a way to kind of ask me, like, hey, your, your career is in jeopardy because you're not hitting these numbers. And they had a cookie cutter model where it's like, it didn't matter if you open on 112th or Wall Street. And so I was like, no, I want to stay around here. And, and that became my beginning of kind of being authentically uh, me. I wanted to, I lived in Harlem, I worked in Harlem, so I wanted to be within the community. Uh, and I got to see the community different. So that was, and so kind of connecting it to, again, to our peers and dispelling notions or evolving. People, my group just kind of saw how I would move. And so it's like, hey, you sacrificed and you worked, you know, worked for a bank in Harlem. And then I went into nonprofit work, mm -hmm. which ultimately I ended up working at a bank, I mean, a nonprofit, the Harlem Children's Zone in Harlem. And that space there, and I'll tie it into um, the professionalism, working in the community, um, being around the youth and younger folks, I think dispels or pushes a lot of those boundaries or things that we may hold on to. So when we talk professionalism, I remember at the time, we're at a tech conference, you know, um, your biggest, you know, uh, icons, um, not black, but just in the tech space around that time, you know, you have your Mark Zuckerbergs, you had Steve Jobs wearing black, but Mark wearing a hoodie. And so it's kind of hard to tell, you know, and we have some of these traditional talented tenth notions around professionalism, which ultimately I believe were rooted in, again, you know, benchmarking against those that weren't from our culture, you know, mainly white folks. And so if you're, you're, you, if you're telling youth they have to dress a certain way and then at the same time saying the tech industry was the pathway of the future and they're looking at examples, like it was, it was hard. It was an inauthentic balance yeah. to be able to talk to them that way. So it started formulating for me or pushing that notion. I'm like, what are we talking about? Uh, and, and I saw it show back up when I went back to Morehouse because it was to fundraise where, you know, you have some folks and recruiters still in the finance space asking like, oh, you need to change, you know, shave or change it. It's like all of this, you know, I think as a community or as a culture, we, we should have like start to have a thought or think about where some of these appearances, guidelines, professionalism, what are we really talking about? Mm -hmm. Because like I said, as I went from Harlem Children's Zone, which part of the way we also bonded or got <laughs> towards community and built community with the youth was also being able to relate, uh, relate, uh, relate to them. And so you have someone that looks like you that speaks, you know, in a culturally relevant way, uh, that's really, you know, inspiring them because you know how to, you know how to kick that lick with them. You know, you know how to talk that stuff. Yep. You, you're interested in some of the same things. And so when I started to see examples, you know, from there, you know, to, to entertainment, you know, it's just like, look, if we're talking about the future, a lot of those examples, you know, it's like, what are we really holding on to? And, and I realized it's like, maybe those are rooted in things that aren't necessarily necessary for success. Because yeah. by the time I got to entertainment, you know, I was working at J. Cole's Dreamville, in, uh, uh, Dreamville, where it's like, you know, you have generationally, arguably our great, uh, generation's greatest artists that may not epitomize what W.E.B. Du Bois was talking about when he was talking about talent today. But he and a number of our artists were going to relate more to the future mm -hmm. than some of the things and notions that we were trying to, you know, dispel to them. Yeah. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. 
Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. 
Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm going to come back to how we're able to navigate that, right? Because we've got, we've got a little bit of time and experience on our side, right? We've been able to navigate professional settings. We have expertise in certain areas. And so there's an air of privilege that allows authenticity to show up for us, right? And for folks who have a bit more experience than it would for someone who's out here looking for a job or trying to make a career pivot or um, change industries, I want to get really specific about some of our stuff because you guys brought it up, right? There's some things about our hair, about our skin color, about the way we talk, about where we come from, what part of town we're in. We didn't make those up, right? And part of, we've been on the Blavity.org side, so I get to run the Blavity Org Foundation, which is a nonprofit side to Afrotech, Blavity Inc., and all the things that you guys know uh, Blavity.com to be. We talk a lot about what our assignment is, right? And part of my assignment here is to ensure that we're shifting our relationship to stuff that was never ours to begin with and reclaim, right? So like reclaiming this renaissance, reclaiming notions of power that are ours, right? We inherited a lot of stuff. It's been imprinted on our DNA. It shows up in how we were raised. It shows up in the schools we go to. It shows up in how we interview and think about professionalism and jobs, right? Let's get real specific about what those things are, where they came from, and then what we got to give back, right? Let's give that back to wherever it came from, right? Somehow we've taken on the notion of slavery as if we were slaves, right? That's our origin. Give that back to the enslavers. We didn't do that, right? There's a whole lot to us that has come about, like, Black folks should be extinct. We shouldn't be here. And there's so much about our power and about what we've navigated and how we've navigated that should force us to pause and look at that source of the information, like that source of our power, and let go of the other thing. So I just, I want to get specific, because y'all talked about it, we bridged it, um, we're going to see where the slides are in here, ignore this if it is not relevant to what we're talking about, but we're going we gonna to talk about it. Hair, dress, all these things came up. Where do you guys want to start? What thing you want to start with, touring, and then Bridget, where did it come from? Do you want to, oh, I was going to say, you want to start with degree in education? We had a tech conference. Yeah, let's go with it. All right. Um, so a degree in education, as far as the weight that we put on it today, has, first of all, it's always been a thing. Education has always been something that um, was for the, the well, more wealthy. Education was a class system even before, um, back in Greek society, historically, only the, the wealthy was able to get an education. Everybody else was a pauper or something like that. Um, but as it relates to, to current society, um, the educated black people historically were, again, 
either free black people who had access to education because they were free, because in many Southern states, it was illegal for you to learn how to read and write. Um, or in post-emancipation, it was people who had wealthy white benefactors who could afford to educate you. So somebody had to foot the bill for their education until public schools become a thing. And essentially, education has always been a class thing. So as we begin to establish HBCUs right after emancipation, these schools are places and spaces where black people who had no education could come and get the early rudiments of it. So reading, writing, and arithmetic, they used to call it the three R's. Um, and then they, they evolved into the universities that we see today. So at one point, historically, black colleges was all we had. That was the only place we could go get an education. And today, you know, I think to, to see this resurgence of popularity for HBCUs is really positive because I think it's, it's great to see black people champion HBCUs in a way that I don't think we've seen mm -hmm. probably the last 20 to 30 years. Yeah. Let me interject real quick, Torian. We went on, when we got here on Friday, we went on a tour with uh, Black Austin Tours. His name, uh, Javier Wallace, runs these tours. He founded it in 2019, and he takes you around downtown Austin to let you reconnect with, like, the origins of Blackness that are in the city. He talked a lot about education, and there was a group of students that we were on this tour with, and they were just like, well, how, how are they going to go to college if they couldn't read, if they couldn't write, if they, like weren't they ignorant like they couldn't they couldn't access this even if it was offered to them and one of the things he said that stuck out to me was like don't confuse ignorance and access right our people were listening they there were way, the grapevine right and um i think he said james baldwin so you hold me accountable james baldwin coined the term the grapevine and information would get to and from and through black people we would find ways to educate ourselves even if we didn't have access to the means to write or read we would still know and so even as you talk about this like we can't we can't confuse the notion of our aspirations and wanting to do more and wanting to get education with the idea that it wasn't accessible to us those are two very different things. Yeah, I think and even looking at what we deem to be quality education. If you look at the the argument between W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, Booker T. Washington being very much so um, technologically focused and feeling like, and not to say that his views were not in some ways problematic, but feeling like black people should focus specifically on agriculture and um, technological advancements of that time period. And W.E.B. Du Bois is saying, we didn't till enough fields. We need to go get an education and run for political office. These were two very opposing views, but very necessary. Because if the world collapses today, me and my degree, we can't grow nothing. Hmm. It's, it, I would say also when we look at this and we're talking about dispelling, you know, uh, the talented tenth or reimagining it, or how is it showing up amongst us? I mean, you know, I'm not saying in the public sphere, but amongst our community chats or our friends and things like that, you know, I know there's a, there's big discussions around the value of education. Of course, you know, HBCUs are being pushed, but I mean, college in general. Mm -hmm. And we're talking, we're coming to a point where, you know, all of that is being disrupted. Uh, the whole country is looking into it. The world is looking at us. Um, you know, like I said, in the spaces that I've been, I've seen it being reimagined. Uh, and so, and when I was also last at Morehouse, when we were talking about new pathways, we're at a tech conference. And so a lot of what you saw Again, if you have a student saying, 
looking at, you know, some of these founders and, and, and see, well, they never finished their degree. Some of the stuff for us, where it's like we're quantifying or putting value on each other, like whether or not you finished or you got this degree mm -hmm. versus maybe the education side of it is like what type of skills or what, what type of advancement. I mean, Jay-Z does have a degree, but it's like would anybody, any of us not go to a master class he's going to have on anything? I mean, we got so, <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? So it's one of those things where I think for us, you know, it's not a right or wrong. It's just a reimagining where, you know, when we talk about, you know, us as a people, at the table, it's going to be some folks that have, you know, degrees. They're going to some with MBAs and certifications. Some are going to have, you know, certifications with boot camps, and they're going to, or someone's going to live life and have experience because they've been, you know, entrepreneur for a number of years. And so, and we can't discount that because I would throw that in the education platform because it's experience. Yep. And so, it's just one of those things that you know how we're looking at it is all I'm encouraging, like encouraging us to do. Mm -hmm. Just like look at it more inclusive, where it's going to be a little bit of that, this and that to ultimately, you know, uh, get us to where we need to get to. Yep. Um, let's go to, let's go to hair, you right? You, you brought it up. Bridget. Is it hair? Hey, let's go to hair. I know you got some under there. <laughs> <laughs> but let's, even, even the clean cut, right? You talked about blue. You talked about your hair being blue. We have a lot of conversations at home about my sister and I both have little boys who have big, natural, curly hair. And our parents and great aunts are like, don't you, don't you want to edge that up? Don't shouldn't he put on a wave cap? Like, aren't there, there's, he needs to look a certain way. Like, that's undone. It's unkept. It's not right. Are you incapable of doing your job with blue hair, Bridget? Does your beard prevent you, Torian, <laughs> from being able to go out and advocate for mental health, for black men, for supporting students? Like, let's talk a little bit about what our appearance does and how, where'd that come from? So in regards to hair, hair has always been something that goes across the diaspora. So black people um, over across the ocean in Africa have always been able to do some amazing things with their hair. Um, and it symbolized tribe and region. There was, and it's, they still, in many cultures, do this today. Um, but when we got over here is when individuality and that capacity started to become a problem. And I think the first time that you really see this in history is about 1756, 57, down in um, Louisiana, specific to New Orleans, when they created what was called the Tignon Law. And the Tignon Law was created because um, white women felt like... Uh, <laughs> glad with that. <laughs> I'm trying to say this in a very... No, you just need to say it, Bridget. Like, just say uh, We amongst us. Why women felt like our hair was a distraction to their men. Hmm. So they went to um, the person who was basically like the governor at the time, because this is during a period before Louisiana was um, part of the United States uh, officially. And basically said, you've got to do something about these these free mulatto women specifically mm. and these enslaved women, they hair, my husband, he looking, I can't, nope, you got to do something about it. And so he passed a law called the Ting Yong Law and women had to wrap their hair. And it, it, it stopped black women being able to distinguish themselves from free and enslaved in a lot of cases. And it made all of us just look enslaved. But the gag is though, mm -hmm. they took them Ting Yongs and they wrapped them just so fly. <laughs> We fly. <laughs> and before you know it, a Ting Yong was considered haute couture by French royals. Mm -hmm. 
And you can go find wealthy white French women wearing a tignon because they thought it looked dope. Hmm. But black women were legally obligated to wear those wraps. Appropriation. Mm. Just going to put that in the box right there. How's that show up for the men, Tori? I mean, for the men, and I, I, it, it's interesting. And I guess it, it becomes a, it's a decision and it becomes a question of the spaces and places that you're at. And so when I think of your traditional business, banking, you know, those folks like clean cut, not loud, and understanding the rule of thumb was you're doing this because you, you, you want your appearance not to distract from the business at hand. That's how, how it was taught to me. Um, <laughs> that's how I showed up. But over time, and I've seen this push amongst the younger uh, generation where it's like, why do I need to do that? Why, do, why can't I? Why do I, I want to maintain my dreads? I want to maintain my beard. And the thing I would tell them at the time is just like, well, think about where you're going. So if you're going in this majority white space and this is what is expected, this may prevent you from getting an opportunity, you know, and just know it's not fair. Life ain't fair. So I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just not fair. But that's a decision you're making. But if you want to play that game, that's a decision you're making. Um, so that's how I may show up in that. But again, moving on into more creative entertainment. Technically, I've been working in black spaces since 20, 2011. So it's been freeing, you know, across various industries because even, you know, yeah, I started growing my beard out, especially when, you know, I think I started losing my head. I never found a hair. <laughs> I, I never really found out. I just cut it all off. But you know, you start to show up in different ways and, and get creative with that. And you see a lot of black men do that, where it's between their hair and, you know, um, you know, with their beards. And so I've see it, seen it become a lot more free. I think the kept thing is still, I don't know if culturally we'll never let that go because it's like, hey, look, at the end of the day, you know, you could say you're being on, you know, natural, but if it's like you haven't edged it up or something, you know what I mean? Like, you're still, you know, we've seen, you know, Steph Curry and them and everyone has questions. Like, <laughs> like right. you know, you're not going to get a lineup. But it's just one of those things. I don't, I don't think culturally we may get rid of that, but I think there's still a way to present it authentically. But, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. What I love about spaces like this, about Afrotech, I walked into Expo Hall yesterday and, I mean, we are everywhere and our hair, hair and our everybody. colors Beautiful like gorgeous just everybody's looking good we're out here being ourselves and even if this space is not necessarily representative of what you have to go back home to right so your office space your job space your community space we know right now this is not representative of austin right austin is six five percent black right i think we done tripled quadrupled that this week <laughs> What's really powerful about these spaces is the fact that we get to be seen in one another, right? So I get to see other beautiful black people moving their hair and doing things in different ways, trying out different colors and textures and outfits and being brilliant in that, right? And like exercising that. And so even if I don't see it, I get to take a bit of that reflection and power from folks that I'm with today and potentially give myself a bit more permission to let go of some stuff, right? Like our, our parents, who I think did the best they could to help us navigate the systems, get the job, like make sure that we're in these spaces and feel confident and comfortable. Like they pass the baton so that our kids, no, they, don't have, they don't have to worry. You show up as you, baby. You show up with all your hair and all your glory and then talk your stuff. And that's gonna be the thing that we hope, right? Becomes 
what's more evident than our physical appearance. Because somehow our appearance got associated to being dirty, right? It's unkept. You got locks. They got to be dirty. Who, that's, no. We're not dirty, right? Like somehow that got associated to that. Somehow it got associated to being unclean, right? To being scary. Droves of black people. This is threatening. Something's got to be going on. You sure there's not going to be a fight this week at our, like you, you sure all y'all know how to act together, right? Like the notion of even us being in groups together, being in community together is somehow threatening to others, right? And so the responsibility that we have in here and even with some of these notions and origins, right, is knowing where they came from, knowing what they meant, what they, they were used to do to control, and then let's start to reimagine what our go forward plan is, right? Like, what, what are we going to do next? How do we reshape and rethink that? And so as we think about some of these origins, I mean, there's a few slides of these so that you guys have access to the history. Um, you also have access to these two. So please, like, connect with them outside of this space. How do we begin to reimagine these notions that are deeply imprinted on us, deeply in our DNA, when a lot of it has pinned us against one another, right? Like we were, when we were prepping for this, a lot of what we were talking about was like, yo, I'm not black, I'm OJ, right? We don't even see ourselves in one another, largely because these things have divided us, right? Like I went to a PWI, y'all went to an HBCU, Maybe my PWI is better, right? Like my hair is straight, yours is curly. I'm light-skinned, you're dark-skinned, right? Like we have created these separations amongst ourselves. And so even if not consciously I'm trying to be against you, I know there's not room for all of us, right? I don't see myself in you necessarily as a community, right? Like not the three of us because we're the homies. But like as a community, we're not necessarily seeing ourselves in each other. How do we begin to reimagine that? How do folks use a space like Afrotech to start to reimagine some of these deeply rooted notions? Mm. First, I want to say that our division is not our baggage. That division was given to us. Ashe. Um, I think that when we think about how we divide ourselves, of course, with color, that was something that happened due to miscegenation in many cases. Not to say that Black people don't come in all shades because black people just come in all shades, but in the context of black American history, miscegenation is one of the largest reasons that we come in various shades. Um, so that division was given to us. We didn't ask for that. Um, the PWI versus HBCU narrative, again, given to us. At one point in time, we could only go to HBCUs. Once desegregation happened, our schools still underfunded. So you know they was underfunded back then. If you wanted a quality education in 1955 with all the bells and whistles, you had to go to a PWI. It wasn't your choice. It was given to you. Um, now, as that relates to how we, how do we reimagine this? I think it comes back to us kind of reconnecting with one another and releasing that baggage. Um, I know Issa Rae said something that I thought was really dope about when people start to get on they, uh, they start networking up. What you need to do is network across. And when she said it, it clicked for me because I think it's something so powerful about reaching out to the people that are on your direct level. You ain't got to go try to find Beyonce day two of you being on. <laughs> <laughs> it's somebody that went to school with you that is also just as hungry as you are and they want to be on just like you want to be on. And I think, 
Okay. Um, now, like, for example, my hairstylist, she traveled here for me. She went to TSU with me. Baby trying to get her bag, too. So it was important that I gave her this moment because this moment was huge to me. That's networking across because most of us come from humble beginnings mm. and we all just trying to make it. Mm -hmm. So if we reconnect and use spaces and moments like these, that's the easiest way to reimagine the Renaissance and to recreate something that they ultimately tried to destroy, which was our community. Mm. I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm going to yep. put a little onus on us, you know, in the sense that we all recognize we're not homogenous. Mm -hmm. You know, um, when I'm monolith, you know, we're from different. I think one thing that I got from going to HBCU is like the first time, you know, being from Chicago, you meet someone from, well, can't say Memphis because, you know, we know Chicago is a suburb of Mississippi. But, <laughs> but when you meet someone from Texas or someone from Cali, you know, um, the East Coast. It's like most of that knowledge I had was consumed to music or what you saw on TV. And so uh, some of these notions, especially as I see them show up in text chains or whatever, you know, some of that is just own stuff. And it may be rooted in some of the systems, but some folks believe in that. And we've seen it, we see it, you know, during this, this divisive time, Black Twitter or whatever, where you're like, if some, some I'm not going to name names, but represents representatives of the Black, you know, within the Black community, just do some public in the public sphere, like all of us have different reactions to it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And some of that may be rooted in folks not also understanding what I feel like, understanding some of these things. And when I mean these things, I mean culturally. We just assume everyone thinks the same. Right. We assume everyone's gonna have those beliefs. When I went to Morehouse, there was such and such the fourth. You know, so I'm meeting brothers that were generational, you know, like, you know, had legacies and different social economic classes and things like that. And so again, it's like, I've taken the time over the years or I've seen it over the years where and what I would encourage, you know, you know, as we continue to talk about moving as a community is not necessarily. Yeah, we should be empathetic within our own culture of like the differences that exist. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I would just push a little just where some of it's the onus on us to understand. But because as soon as you, you say something that disagreement to the majority, everyone piles in on that person. And it's like you see within amongst us, we don't we don't agree upon everything. I mean, beauty salons and barbershops, you see that all the time where right. people are able to talk about it. Those type of same comments they be made in the public, it's like, oh no, you know, we don't agree. You know, yes we do, and we have our own stuff. And so I think some of it does show up just because we just need to push to make sure that we're a little bit more empathetic internally, uh, or just understanding that where, where, where could that exist or how, how could it be showing up now for that particular person? Yep. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. 
Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. 
You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This whole idea that we're not one community, right? We look at other cultures and you go to a particular part of town, right? And that's that part of town. And that's that part of town. And these families all live together. And all we have right now is the hood, right? And so 2020 has rebirthed this idea of the Black Wall Street. So maybe maybe we'll consider what it means to all live together and be this like homogenous community. But right now we don't we don't have that. And I'm trying to be like Bridget when I grow up, y'all. So I'm in a, I'm in a history. You get blue hair? No, blue hair, history. <laughs> I'm in all, all the things. That's, these are goals. And I'm, I'm in class uh, at a PWI studying history. And one of the things we were talking about was this idea of cultures and communities, right? And we're talking about Native Americans and um, the, the tribes and artifacts, right? And like, they want to be able to give things back that they stole and took. And so they're looking at groups that they exploited. They're looking at groups. And when I say they, this is like white European centered historians are saying like, oh, we done messed up. You know, we we took stuff. There are some people, black people who don't have any really roots or connections to their history. And we stole some things. So we probably should give that back. Right. And one of the women in my class was like, yeah, you're right. Like, I think they would want it back. We should just, we should give it back to them. And so I'm looking at them like, who are you going to give it to? Who, Barack? Like, we, there's no, there's no tribe leader. Right. There's no one who's like speaking on behalf of black people. Where are we going to keep it at? Right. Like, who, who's holding it? Right. And so as we, as we consider Afrotech, right, and we consider technology, but also consider this need for figuring out how we re-see ourselves in ourselves, how we collectively access artifacts and documents and just stories of our history. Like tech is an interesting vehicle for that, right? Like tech and right now Web3, like we just saw the Alpha Noir competition. Congrats to the winner. Those, all the competitions, the competition was really dope. Um, but congrats to the winner. We were watching you guys in the back um, wanting to play the piano and saxophone. So I, I'm also a consumer. Um, we don't like tech might be a space and is a space as we're learning here to like really connect this notion and like be a part of that reimagination. What is your perspective on that? Like, how do you, how do y'all see tech? Torian, you mentioned music, right? And like this space in general is curated so well. I know I work for Blavity, but also this is my first Afrotech conference and it's just dope. Everything from the transition music, like everything just feels black, right? Like it feels like it was meant for me to be here. Like folks care that I'm showing up. There's a whole experience in here that is really important that they are leveraging tech to be able to do, right? And the platform of technology to do as we think about reimagination, is there space for technology and leverage for music to like rethink and maybe access game a bit differently? I mean, I, oh. uh, I was just going to say, I think that when speaking to talk about his, history, I think that there's so much room. I, as a person that's created a career in museums, museums are slowly but surely going to have to become more technologically advanced because it's very few, I won't say very few, but it's 
the number of people who go to museums and just gonna stand in front of a panel and read six paragraphs, that's that's dwindling. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people that's gonna read six paragraphs, but that's my preference. In the world of social media and TikTok, attention spans, they they real short. You got to give me a lot of information real fast. And I think if we could find a way to merge the dissemination of historic knowledge with technology, that could transform how museums operate. Mm-hmm. When you think about how uh, the National Museum of African American History and Culture came and was such a, a pivotal moment for black museums and black history, if we could find a way to really give them a technology arm so that people who may not be able to travel to DC can still get access to the information that could shift museums. That could shift the profession of historians. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we we're seeing it right now. Um, it, I think it's just, there's, there's going to be a respect level like that we we're giving to the time. I think right now, and I'm, I'm, you know, dating myself, being a 40 year old black man, you know, some of the, you know, some of the technology I'm seeing is like, Oh, I don't, I don't I don't need to use that. But when you recognize, like, or I would have to recognize that that is the way we're talking Web3 all day, you know, this is where we're headed. It's almost like, you know, this is where we're moving, get on or get left behind and recognize that it's already happening. I mean, if it wasn't happening, we wouldn't have what we call Black Twitter. We wouldn't have, you know, Black TikTok or, you know, in these things, these technologies that have come up, we have, as a culture, have placed our thumbprint on it. Immediately, you saw what happened with Clubhouse when it came out. Black folks got involved, became lit, and then we made it go away. Like so, mm-hmm. it's it's we find ways to add our culture. You know, we're building. You know, we find ways to add our culture wherever we're at. We're building community community at at Alchemy. Like so, wherever we're at, we move in a community. Uh, it's just recognizing, and this is what I said: the respect, recognizing that it's no longer going to be. You know, for my demographic, no longer going to be always Big Mama Sunday dinner. Hmm. It may be your text chain. It may be Friendsgiving, you know, or it's, it's hyper, you know, it's, uh, it's nuanced and it's multifaceted where it's going to be a little bit of in-person. It's going to be a lot of this, you know, uh, a tech conference. And then it's just going to be the rest of it may be, you know, digitally when we're com- building community through there, yep. which is fine. And so I feel like once, once we have come to recognize that that is where black community exists now, you know, either whether we're building it on our own platforms and our own spaces or taking over some of theirs, regardless, like, I feel like as long as we use that in a healthy way, yep. like, I feel like the negativity, like, that's, I'm not promoting that, but there are good uses of that, you know, because you could get a lot of information from those, those influencers or creatives that are on TikTok or these other spaces. Yep. So we use technology, we connect with folks, we learn new mechanisms, maybe new modalities. My six-year-old is teaching me all about the things because Roblox, I'm still all that. This, it's like, what am I doing? This 40 era, that's not it. I don't even, I don't even know TikTok. So Instagram is where we're going to stop. <laughs> but we, we use all that, right? We're on the telegrams. We're talking to one another. We're dancing and uh, surf swagging, right? Like we're wobbling. We're doing all the things that bring us together and build this community. And then we leave Afrotech. How do we make sure that we take that back home with us. Like, what are the ways that we're staying connected? The group chat is definitely one, but I, for one, get very overwhelmed with group chats. They work in the moment, and then at home, I'm like, this muted. 
<laughs> no notifications. No, okay, that, that's a tip. But how, how, how are we going to take this home? How are we going to take this community piece back home? I think, of course, Instagram. Instagram is one of the most influential apps that I think we have seen created um, by following your, your favorite content creators on Instagram who are doing this work. Um, that's how you stay connected. And I'm old school. Baby, come get a business card and shoot me an email. Um, that's how I, I respond. Got you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm an analog girl in the digital world. Like I'm I'm trying. I'm a TikToker barely. Um, so I think that by connecting in any way that you can, have, let's have a conversation and take a shot. Like let's make a genuine connection and take it from there. Yeah, I would say for this group, continue, I mean they're here, so I know they're here to network, connect. You know, uh, continue to build on that. I mean, this is. Something, you know, throughout my career, I've always made sure I did is, I mean, it's powering a follow up or recognizing that, you know, just because we're now friends on IG or whatever social platform, like it's not, it's not as personal. So there's other ways, like that's one way to be connected, but then, you know, that check in, that follow up. And so, you know, again, with this, with this group, it's like all the people that you're meeting that are networking with, like take that back to where, wherever you're just uh, going to. Stay in contact with those folks. I met some amazing folks over here, you know, over the last day and a half that I, I love to continue to build. I mean, we are building a community. This is what we're about. And I think when we get back to the root of what we're talking about as far as what does the talented 10th look like, I think it's no longer, you know, the 10%. Like if we want to brand it and keep it the talented 10th mm -hmm. because that's, it sounds cool. Sounds cool. But at the end of the day, it's like we move as a people, as a community. And so this is our community and you just continue to you know, move up together as a community through the multiple platforms and networks that you have. Yep. We knew in prepping for this conversation that we would have to address the, oh, we're talking about history and origins at the biggest Black tech and Web3 conference. Like we knew that was going to come up. Um, we appreciate y'all for rocking with us, but it was really intentional that we talked about the origins because if we don't if we don't know our stuff, if we don't know the past, then we can't use any of that to propel the innovation, to propel the technology and do that in a way that's going to serve us collectively. Right. We want to make sure. And we said in this beginning that we would leave you guys with something. There's going to be some homework and just like an invitation. We want you guys to be invited into the possibility of what it means to really be in community with one another. Uh, so there's a few takeaways that I just wanna make sure that we get y'all through. Um, we want you guys to listen, right? And Torin and Bridget will, will take you through the other, the other lenses of homework, but our music is such an interesting modality for information, for a lot of this game, for like a lot of this insight from Negro spirituals, right? Especially being in the South, we're in a, the space of what used to be 46,000 plantations at the peak of enslavement in the U.S., right? There are the most freedmen towns here in Texas. Like the ground we walk on is sacred. So there's this idea of listening to one another, for one, listen to our music because there's messages in there that, you know, we rock to it. The beat is hot and all of that's great. But there's real messages that our artists and our community are sharing through their music. And the piece is just listen to the energy, like listen to spirit. This whole city, especially downtown, is sacred ground. This is sacred space that we've created. Like you've now been imprinted 
in the convention center. So anybody that comes in here, any conference that's hosted after Afrotech is also getting the imprints of us being here. Right? So there's an invitation in all of this to listen as one. And then you guys want to share what else we, we should ask the people to do with us? Yeah, finding someone um, to collaborate with. If you have an idea, if you have something, if you heard somebody talking, you overheard it was low-key eavesdropping on somebody's conversation, and you feel like you had some genuine input, tap them on the shoulder. Hey, excuse me. I overheard you. Say, I wasn't trying to be in your business, but I overheard what you were saying, and I would love to just whatever that may be. Yep. Because we cousins, y'all. Help each other out. <laughs> yep. I'm taking oh, no, <laughs> so, no, I was like, Ooh. no. So, yeah, and visit the historic site uh, of blackness at Black Austin Tours. I mean, there was an amazing tour I missed, but I saw it on the ground that, again, gives you historical context of, you know, our history here within the city. And so just take advantage of the spaces that we're at. You know, we're here at a new space. Meet the people that you're meeting, but also, you know, learn a little bit about the spaces that we're at. Yep. We've got two playlists, and I'll share that, but there's, this, this is where I really wanted to go, and then we'll go back to um, the playlist. Our culture, our music, all of that is just infused in how we do, and so we just curated just our music, our songs that sort of speak to a lot of the things that are coming up, and again, the invitations that you connect with that a bit more intentionally and deeply, and so you can QR code it, use that technology app, you know, to get to the Spotify playlist, but the things that we wanted y'all to leave away with, right? Because we're this is an exchange of energy and information. Thank y'all for coming to listen, but also this is like, this is love, and and we sharing this with one another. Um, know what's yours. We've been given a whole lot of stuff, and we carry a whole lot of stuff that, as Bridget and Torian talked about, was never ours to begin with. So let that go, and it's a process of that. So we know that. But make a commitment, give yourself permission to let go of the stuff that's not yours so that you can reclaim the power of what it means to be in this space and be in a black body. The second piece, and Bridget just talked about this, like be audacious and unapologetic with your collaboration. There's a seat at the table, you got an interview, you got a conversation, bring somebody else with you. There is no interruption. This is not about like that awkward, ooh, can I go into that circle, can I not? We know how this works. You go in, you say, girl, you look good. Can I, can I just talk to you for a second? Like there's a way that we know how to connect with one another. And so like leverage that here, get rid of those notions of professionalism and networking that make this space that was curated for us unnecessarily intimidating. Don't be intimidated by this. Be empowered by it. Show up, connect, love, hug, you know, respect people's boundaries, but like be really in community with one another and be audacious about that. And then Legacy's Lyric, right? Like we wrote, we wrote a paper this year through Blavity.org, but the idea was just to pay homage to the, the words, the songs, the hymns, the energy of our ancestors that comes through music, right? And we know as black people, we're holding and we're going to have to pass the baton seven generations ahead, seven, seven generations back. We're already doing ancestors' work, right? So the legacies that we're creating are today. And a lot of that is through the stuff that we get to rock with together. Um, so we'll put the, the QR codes back up. We invite you to engage in our playlist. The music is here. You're going to hear it as we exit the stage. Uh, but just another space to, to invite you into and... 
thank you. Thank you both for sharing this space with me. Thank you for like having the tough conversation and hope y'all just go out and love on each other, be in community. Thank you so much. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. And it's produced by Morgan DeBon and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Sarah Ergen and Rose McLucas. Special thank you to Michael Davis and Vanessa Serrano. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine, And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.